to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, what is up? Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here welcoming you on board for this week's program. And we're now just two and a half weeks away from the very first Grand Prix of the year at Albert Park at Melbourne, Australia. And yes, the 2019 Formula One World Championship is literally right on our doorstep. And I know I speak not only just for myself, but for Formula One fans everywhere when I say I can't wait. And just let's get these last couple of weeks out of the way. But before we do that, uh, just one item of housekeeping I just need to get out of the way first of all. I did mention in the past couple of shows that we have switched podcast providers or hosting services, I should say. And I thought everything had gone rather swimmingly. Until it didn't. So I have found out since last week that there is an issue for those of you who are subscribing and listening via Spotify. Unfortunately, it is a program or a, a, a solution that I cannot implement myself here on the back end. So I have been working with the good people at their podcast support team to get that sorted out. Unfortunately, it is not an instantaneous thing. So there is a bit of delay in between giving them the information that they need and what they need to do. So Hopefully by this time next week, the Spotify feed will be up and running again. And uh, I do apologize and I do thank you all for your patience. Anyways, let's get into the show itself. There's uh, obviously lots and lots to talk about. And uh, when this show is being recorded is on the last couple of hours of February 27th, 2019. And that means we are in the middle of the second preseason test at Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia. And well, before we talk about what's going on this week, let's just dial it back and talk uh, talk about what happened last week. Because of course, uh, when we did the show last week, they just started up the, the the first test in Barcelona. So I think it's worthwhile and just going back and just uh, discussing what happened. Of course, it's a bit of a fluid situation and all the teams are doing what they need to do to prepare for the up and coming season. And of course, it's a little bit kind of hard to really reconcile all the times because everybody's running different fuel loads. Everybody's running on different tires, but still, nonetheless, I think we're getting some good insight into what's going on there. But before we go and uh, uh, go back and look at that, just a, a little refresher. The Circuit de Barcelona Catalunya is 4.655 kilometers long or 2.892 miles, 16 turns, and the lap record that was set uh, last year is uh, a 118.441, and that was set by Danny Ricardo in the Red Bull Renault. And well, let's take a look at some of the times that were set last week. So interestingly, the fastest time that was set that's uh, in the, the the first test uh, session was uh, by Renault with a 117.393. And that was on the C5 tire, which, of course, we have to get completely used to because this year gone are the hard tires, the uber soft tires. I made that one up. Medium compounds. So instead of all the names, they're going with a, a numbering system. So they've got... They do what they do, what they need to do with the tires at Pirelli. And uh, basically, you start at C1, which is the hardest, and C5 is the 
the softest. You have your injuries, your wets, and all that good stuff. So obviously a a, uh, a very good time that was uh, set. And uh, I have to check. Uh, last week I did mention what some of the times in qualifying and uh, in, in the race were last year, but uh, I'm not exactly sure now what uh, what Lewis Hamilton's pull time was, but still a 117.393 was, uh, was a, a pretty decent and respectable time for, for Renault. So the slowest time of the the entire week was set by Williams with a 120.997 and I should mention that uh, Renault ran 430 laps in Barcelona for a total distance of just over 2,000 kilometers and compare that to, to Williams like I say a, a 120.997 so well off the pace and uh, over uh, yeah just about uh, two seconds slower than over two seconds slower than uh, Danny Rick's time from last year they only ran 88 laps or four just about 410 kilometers which is not really that much more than the total race distance and of course Williams missed the first couple of uh, days of the first uh, test session and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the fallout from that in a couple of minutes so very very limited but uh, still uh, they they have had some more miles on the car this uh, this week so, so like I say some uh, pretty interesting uh, times uh, that were set the the, the fastest uh, time that was set uh, by Ferrari was a 118.046 they ran just under 600 laps for about uh, 2,765 kilometers and that was uh, a little bit uh, behind uh, Mercedes who uh, they had the top uh, mileage they ran over 2,800 kilometers and they also set a pretty good um, time of a 117.857 so obviously but a tenth and a half of a second quicker than the Ferrari. But interestingly, the Ferrari, they set uh, the fastest time on the C3 tire compared to a Mercedes on the C5. So uh, when you look at that, uh, of course, we have to, to reconcile for the difference in fuel loads and things like that. But at least, you know, the just a difference in the times uh, between the, the, the two uh, tire compounds, a harder compound compared to a very soft and sticky compound. You know, they're only about a tenth and a half uh, between them. So uh, pretty uh, pretty pretty interesting stuff so uh, let's take a, a little bit uh, let, let's uh, talk a little bit now about some of the different um, uh, the the different wrap-ups or the synopsis of uh, what the the, the, the different uh, teams achieved last week so first of all we'll, we'll go back to to the Renault so the, setting the first time or the fastest time in the first week of preseason testing was uh, was very good for them they were um, the fastest car through the sector second and third sectors, which means it's a a very stable car in both uh, low and high speed corners and was uh, a tenth of a second faster than uh, Mercedes and the Ferrari in sector three. And uh, they were about 0.4 of a second faster than all their midfield uh, rivals. So that's uh, definitely uh, an interesting accomplishment for Renault. And uh, definitely we're going to have to uh, keep uh, an eye on them and see what progress they've made over the winter. I mean, of course, um, Surreal Atabul, the team principal, has been saying for quite some time that they've uh, made some pretty concrete and pretty solid uh, gains over the winter. So at least in the first week of testing, at least um, it, it it seems to have uh, materialized to a certain extent. Whether or not they can uh, continue to bring that through the preseason and into the, the, the actual season itself is um, completely a different uh, matter. Uh, but uh, moving along, uh, Toro Rosso, their fastest time of the week was a 117.637 and that 
that was uh, set on the fourth and final day that was also on the C5 tire compound. And uh, just uh, in general, the Honda engine uh, appears uh, um, both for the Toro Rosso and the Red Bull is uh, reliable at this point and uh, producing a decent amount of uh, power. The Toro Rosso was, uh, <laughs> interestingly, and uh, completely uh, polar opposites, it was the fastest car of the, uh, the, the week in Sector 1, but also slowest in Sector 3. And um, that was written off to probably the drop-off in performance of the C5 tires over the course of an entire lap. So they're looking uh, this year to finish the season stronger rather than their usual, well, let's let's be uh, pretty blunt about it. So Toro Rosso tend to start uh, pretty bright in the season and then uh, steadily just drop off over time. So I think they like to keep uh, more of an even burn this year and uh, have a bit more of a successful year and uh, and be just a little bit more consistent obviously all right, Alfa Romeo. So the the Sauber, which has now been uh, renamed to Alfa Romeo, a one seventeen point seven six two was set on the third day of pre- uh, testing on the C five tires. Uh, they've uh, run quite a few laps. Uh, the first week of testing ran just under five hundred laps or twenty three hundred kilometers. Uh, Raikkonen set the fastest li- lap, but uh, Giovinazzi impressively was only half a second off of Leclerc's uh, fastest time on the C threes, which is very impressive. And uh, just in general. General uh, Sauber Alfa Romeo has made a lot, a lot of progress in just under 12 months. So it should be a very exciting season for them uh, to, to watch this year. I mean, obviously, they have the, the, the new backing, the new name. They've got all the... Uh, everything going in their in their favor it seems they got a couple of good drivers so it should be uh, fun to watch okay just uh, again i did mention earlier that uh, mercedes uh, best time of the week was a 117.857 and well well at least in the first week it appears that they may not have made as many gains in performance as their rivals have over this winter obviously rivals being uh, ferrari and red bull and uh, they were unable to exact and, and extract more performance out of the car as the test went on and the W10 uh, did look uh, rather unstable in some of the high speed corners and uh, at least after the first week of preseason testing looks as though they may be uh, trying to catch up uh, to Ferrari because uh, the word on the street was after the first test that uh, perhaps uh, once you uh, corrected and reconciled for all the differences in uh, entire compounds and fuel loads and everything like that that uh, Ferrari on paper theoretically could be up to half a second a lap quicker than the Mercedes and the other uh, cars, uh, the other rivals. So that will be uh, <laughs> very interesting to watch and to see if uh, if they can uh, build on that and uh, and and move forward. And if the the first couple of days of testing this week are any indication, it seems that uh, they're doing just that. So the fastest time again for Ferrari last week was one eighteen point oh four six on the C three, and like I said, that was set on the fastest uh, time on day one, and they didn't even use the softest C four. C5 compounds all week so the the big question is is there still more power is there more performance and potential to come out of that car McLaren has set some pretty decent times uh, last week uh, a 118.431 they ran just over 2,000 kilometers in in distance and uh, well I mean even though they've had some uh, good lap times it looks like um, the 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 MCL 34 is still uh, a bit of a work in progress and but at, at least okay 
let, let, let's just put it this way. Been very critical about McLaren over the, the past couple of years, and rightly so. I mean, it's a bit of a shambles there, but let's give credit where credit is due. I mean, they've set some good times in practice. The car seems reliable. It, it's obviously a work in progress, but they do appear to be making some progress at this point. And I think that any forward move in for, uh, movement for a McLaren at this point in time is good news because it, it's been pretty dire. It's been uh, pretty upsetting to watch and, and just uh, uh, difficult to see when it's uh, been, you know, not the greatest of times for them. Obviously, a, a team that has been so very, very successful over the years. And uh, if they can actually get to get to some performance out of the car and start moving forward. And I still think that uh, compared to themselves and Williams, and uh, Williams, of course, having all sorts of problems as well, just getting to the track. I think that of those two teams, I'm expecting to see a little bit more from McLaren this uh, year uh, compared to Williams. All right, so Haas, Haas in the beautiful glossy black and gold. Um, they set uh, their fastest time on C3, and uh, when they corrected the softer t- compounds, their times were similar to uh, Red Bull Racing, uh, Mercedes, and Alfa Romeo. Uh, unfortunately, several mechanical issues impacted their testing time, and uh, kind of they, they didn't get as much uh, uh, testing in as uh, they probably wanted to. They ran 379 laps, which is still nothing to turn your nose that bad you know that that was just over 1750 kilometers uh driven over that uh, that amount of time so some promising um time set by the Haas so uh, we'll have to wait and see what uh, what they do Red Bull a 118.780 set on the C3 uh, they only used the harder compounds and the Honda engine was just as reliable on the RB15 and set uh, very similar times to Ferrari and Mercedes so that's uh, very exciting uh, to, uh, to see and uh, of course uh, Honda is the big uh, big question mark uh, last year uh, they were saying that uh, they intend to keep um, Red Bull uh, well, they, they they basically want to make sure that that they're not going to regress by uh, where Red Bull was last year with their or the last couple of years with the Renault engine. So if they're already setting lap times that are similar towards uh, what what Ferrari and uh, Mercedes are able to do, then that's a very positive uh, development. And of course, we did see uh, last year, as is uh, with uh, with every year. That uh, that the, the the Red Bull was able to win a couple of races, and uh, perhaps uh, the 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 Honda engine might be able to deliver a little bit more. So again, watch this space. So racing points, uh, two hundred and forty eight laps run for just over eleven hundred and fifty kilometers, and uh, their fastest time was a one nineteen point six six four set on the C two tires. And uh, well, <laughs> there is hopefully a lot more potential in the car. But uh, last week there was uh, overall a lack of performance um, out of during yeah in all sectors of the track really so they've got a lot of uh, work to do for the second test and also for the Australian Grand Prix and then of course uh, as I mentioned off at the top Williams a 120.997 and uh, well it's it's going to be difficult because uh, at this point uh, you know they haven't really run too many laps in the FW42 so it's really difficult to tell and see how much that they've actually uh, progressed or or not over the uh, over the winter so they certainly do have um, a, a lot of work to do in the second test because they're under the gun uh, they've got a lot of uh, you know time to make up for in those two and a half days of testing that uh, that that they missed and uh, well their track record sadly has 
hasn't been very great over the past couple of years. And uh, unless something miraculous happens uh, with uh, with Williams, I really do have some uh, some doubts as to whether or not they're going to be able to start to digging themselves out of the hole anytime soon. Anyways, we're going to start uh, talking more about the second week of testing. But first of all, we're going to take a short break to hear a word from our sponsors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back. So yes, now on to the second week of testing, and it hasn't really started all that great for Ferrari. Um, the final two days of uh, testing at, uh, at Barcelona has been uh, set back after Sebastian Vettel had an accident on Wednesday, uh, costing uh, costing them a lot of valuable uh, track time. Uh, after uh, that, they basically cancelled uh, what they were doing, and uh, they decided just to... Uh, um, Basically, call it a day. Uh, Vettel had a very heavy impact uh, with the with the into the barrier at turn three after an unspecified mechanical failure at the front end of the car. Uh, he'd only run about forty laps, and when the car was repaired, uh, they decided to uh, obviously make an investigation into the cause of the uh, the accident. Uh, but uh, Ferrari and um, and Vettel didn't really have anything more to uh, to, to to add to it. Uh, he said that uh, the uh, the loss of track time was costly for the team, and they didn't really know. Know what was going on, other than that there was uh, something to let go at the the left front end of of, uh, of the car. So on uh, the sixth day of uh, testing, which was on uh, uh, on uh, Wednesday, February twenty seventh, McLaren was at the top of the time charts, and, and uh, Ferrari were obviously dealing with some of their issues. So uh, Carlos Sainz had set the fastest uh, time of the day of a one minute seventeen point one four four seconds. He uh, ran one hundred and thirty laps. Uh, second was Sergio Perez in the racing points with a one seventeen point eight four two eighty eight laps run. Sebastian Vettel. Bef- Despite having a, an accident crashing out, he set the third fastest uh, time of the day of a 118.195 seconds. So he was about a second off of the pace, and that was with only 40 laps run. And then the Iceman Kimi Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo, 118.209, 100 lap, uh, 113 laps run. Sorry, uh, Roman Grosjean in the Haas, a 118.330, 120 laps driven. Max Verstappen in the Red Bull, a 118.395. 
128 laps run. So uh, interestingly, if you look down at the the the, the time charts, uh, the fastest of Mercedes was Valtteri Bottas. Uh, he set the eighth fastest time of the day at 118.941. A one, so he's one 1.8 seconds off of the pace, 74 laps run, and he was only two thousandths of a second quicker than his uh, teammate Lewis Hamilton. Set a 118.943. So obviously they got a little bit of uh, catching up. Uh, Danny Ricardo and the uh, in the in the in the Renault and uh, Charles Leclerc were the bottom two, and Leclerc uh, didn't actually set a time during the session. So just a, an interesting uh, little sort of a sidebar here, just uh, talking about uh, McLaren and, and Carlos Sainz setting the fastest time of the day. Fernando Alonso, remember him? <laughs> of course we do. Uh, double world champion, uh, retired or went on sabbatical or leave of absence, uh, whatever you want to call it, at the end of last year. And uh, he's off to, to drive an IndyCar and endurance cars this year. But he was announced as uh, the uh, an ambassador for McLaren uh, earlier this uh, week. And uh, that means he's going to be spending some time testing the car this year for McLaren. So he was saying that uh, it was a waste of everyone's time if he spent um, all of his time on the sidelines in in, in 2019. So he, uh, he says uh, that he still feels like he's at the peak of his career. He said that uh, being at home is a waste of time and possibilities he says um, he's doing different and iconic races but uh, he also feels that he's at the best of his uh, the, the peak of his career he feels that he's stronger even at 37 physically mentally and everything that uh, that that he's racing at uh, at the moment be it uh, formula one be it endurance cars be it indycar he feels that uh, he's just in really good uh, form and uh, he feels that he can be competitive uh, no matter what uh, what he's doing so it'll be interesting to, to see uh, when he gets a chance to uh, to jump uh, behind the wheel of uh, this year's McLaren, and you know I, I haven't necessarily written off Fernando Alonso in in Formula One. I really kind of got the feeling last year, and even though it was basically treated a, a, as a farewell, I mean if you remember back to Abu Dhabi at the end of the race, there were the uh, the, the usual donuts, and of course Lewis was uh, celebrating his World Championship in style, <clears throat> and even Fernando Alonso joined in the donuts at the start finish line and uh, all the post-race uh, festivities. But to me, it, it kind of had a feeling of finality at the time. And I really felt, well, okay, sure, he hasn't really closed the door on uh, on Formula One publicly and uh, hasn't said that he's not coming back. But in reality, it it just felt a little bit different. It really felt like an end of uh, an era. And I think at the time, I may have even uh, named one of the uh, the show episodes uh, something to uh, to that effect. But you know, be that as it may, uh, you know, a couple of months, later and of course everybody's hyped for the new year I mean uh, at the moment we we don't know who the best car is and who's the worst car and who's going to be uh, the, the the world champion that's going to unfold over the next nine or ten months so that's obviously the fun of Formula One but I guess uh, being at uh, at the track in Barcelona and getting a chance to see the new car and maybe getting a chance to see what's been done over the winter has given Fernando uh, a little bit of um, cause to be positive and I mean if you look at Kimi Raikkonen right now. He's 39, just signed a new two-year contract with Alfa Romeo, which means by the time that contract is done, he'll be 41 years old. And I always 
equate and 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 think that uh, just because those two guys are basically from the same generation of uh, Formula One drivers, they both broke in in a similar time in the early 2000s. I always think that they're the same age. I mean, sure, they're only two years between them, but I was a, a little bit surprised again when I was reminded that uh, Fernando is only, in fact, 37 years old. And if he takes a, a year away, and who knows, maybe he decides to come back next year. Maybe uh, things do allow for that to happen. I mean, he theoretically, if, uh, you know, he, he reckons that uh, he's uh, physically and mentally and uh, just at the peak of his career right now and he's able to get a good car, then why not? Uh, we, we could uh, definitely see him back. And of course, it is only going to be with McLaren because if you look at some of the different sp- uh, stops that he's uh, made along the way, I really think that's about the only place that uh, that he can really race in Formula One at the moment. I mean, Fernando, obviously a, a great driver, but he's made some questionable decisions in his uh, career with the way that he sort of moved around from team to team. And uh, I mean, let's uh, let's be fair about it. I mean, he, he's burned some bridges. So obviously he's got a very good uh, relationship with uh, McLaren and, and, and Zach Brown, the CEO there, he's uh, always very supportive and positive and uh, really just says all the things uh, correct things publicly about uh, Alonso and obviously is uh, trying to to ensure make sure that uh, that he's happy with the team and uh, and uh, trying to really make sure that uh, that he has the opportunities uh, to go out and be competitive and I mean if you're a guy like uh, Zach Brown that's uh, running a, a team like that that's obviously fallen off uh, the the pinnacle from where they once were and you have a guy like uh, Fernando Alonso who's a double world champion is obviously still a very fast and competitive driver it must be frustrating for 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 a guy like Zach to to know that you've got a guy that could win races but you're just not able to give him the car to do it and uh I mean all credit to him I mean uh, he he's been more than accommodating in my opinion to to really go out there and, and find in th- these opportunities and keep Fernando uh, happy and who knows we could uh, certainly see him back in formula 1 I don't uh, think it's too far beyond the realm of possibilities so just uh, talking uh, a little bit now about the uh, the, the second uh, week of uh, testing, and there will be plenty more Mercedes news uh, in a little while, but we were talking uh, just now how um, the, the the first week of testing, it was uh, obviously uh, Ferrari was much better off than uh, than, than Mercedes. It was uh, obviously uh, the, the the Ferrari was in, in, in better shape setting. Uh, well, the, the, the lap times were consistently faster, even though, excuse me, uh, Mercedes posted a faster overall lap time. Uh, Ferrari was better over the course of the entire test. And uh, Sebastian Vettel said that uh, this week, he says, uh, quote, a bit surprised to see how many uh, upgrades Mercedes has brought to the second uh, preseason test. But really? I'm not really too surprised about it. Maybe, well, obviously I'm not there. So obviously uh, Vettel's got uh, a bit more of a unique uh, perspective than, <clears throat> than than all of us do here at home, just uh, following along and, and following the news reports. But uh, be that as it may, I always uh, I, I thought it was interesting after the first week of practice was actually finished and there was obviously the news that uh, that, that was out that uh, Ferrari was ahead uh, on paper compared to, uh, to Mercedes. And I thought, well, this isn't going to last long 
long. Uh, perhaps they do have uh, the, the early advantage in testing, but this is just the kind of situation that really seems to bring out the best in uh, in Mercedes, I think. I mean, we, we, we've seen during the season over the past couple of years that when the going's gotten tough, they've buckled down and worked harder than you would uh, sometimes, I think, really expect or appreciate because when the going gets tough, Mercedes seem to find a way to to dig their way out of a hole. And when they come back and they've made the, the changes and the improvements to the car that they needed to do, boy, look out. I mean, uh, we just have to go back to uh, to Monaco a couple of years ago where they really, uh, what, what did Lewis, uh, where did he qualify? I think it was in 2017. It was somewhere ridiculous. I, was it 14th? I can't remember off the top of my head. Anyways, uh, when you're that far back down on the grid, it's uh, obviously extremely difficult to to make up that sort of ground uh, at Monaco. And uh, Lewis, of course, is going to fight and drive as hard as he can. But that uh, even if you're Lewis Hamilton, you're going to need some luck and you're going to need some retirements or accidents or whatever the case may be to really claw your way up uh, through the racing order in in Monaco. Anyways, be that as it may, they they went away from that race, and of course that was the 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 one where I think uh, Ferrari uh, Vettel won that one uh, and beat uh, Kimi Raikkonen in that whole pit stop uh, switcheroo earlier in the race. But uh, certainly that was one that uh, that uh, Mercedes really felt like they should have won and uh, where obviously it stings for them when they don't do well and uh, the the results aren't where because they went or aren't there because they went away from that race and uh, did what they needed to do and worked uh, 24/7 back at their factory and when they came back for the Canadian Grand Prix a couple of weeks later it was completely a different uh, situation and uh, that that was basically that point in the season was it was a real turning point for them and uh, we, we've seen it um, several times over the years that just when it looks like there's maybe a bit of a chink in the armor and uh, they're they're just uh, they've they've shown some weakness they throw all their resources and their manpower behind it and it's amazing to see what the, they're, they're able to do and the way that uh, they're able to uh, correct those cars and uh, just do what they need to do to fix the problem. And then what, once they do, they are really able to turn it around in a big, uh, big way. So... Uh, yeah, I, I guess it was uh, a bit of an eye opener for Sebastian Vettel and everyone else. But uh, there were some; uh, they were always planning to uh, produce uh, a much more advanced con- concept for the second test. And uh, well, it looks like they they've actually done that. So just uh, talking a little bit more uh, than uh, than uh, Ferrari and Mercedes, and just going back a little bit uh, to the, the the fastest time of the week uh, that's been uh, set uh, by uh, Carlos Sainz, and uh, he says and he believes that Ferrari and Red Bull can go much faster than uh, than his benchmark, and I find that uh, quite uh, quite interesting to say that uh, he just said it was Ferrari and Red Bull. Obviously, I think uh, you got to throw Mercedes in there as well. So he set his uh, fastest lap on the C4 tire compound, which is about a quarter second. Uh, uh, quicker than Nico Hulkenberg's uh, opening uh, week uh, benchmark uh, for Ferrano last week, uh, and it's within a second of uh, Lewis Hamilton's uh, pole time from last year. So uh, it's 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 very fascinating because uh, I was uh, just to maybe just get on a bit of a tangent here. Uh, just uh, you know, there's been all these questions now, of course, about the wings and the barge boards and all these aerodynamic uh, changes that they've made and pushed through for for 2019. And just how much it was going to slow the cars down. 
But uh, now that they're saying that the, that they uh, really think that they've erased that time deficit, and it's possible that the cars this year could be just as fast, if not faster, than uh, than than the cars last year. Because I think that's uh, the one thing that uh, that I've really enjoyed watching over the past couple of years. Although it would be nice to be able to see uh, more opportunities for for overtaking, and that's uh, still a possibility with these new era rules for this year. But the the one thing since uh, the regulations changed for uh, for 2017 is just how the cars have gotten faster, and uh, it's been quite exciting to to, to watch uh, the, uh, the the different races and the qualifying uh, sessions when you see like the lap records uh, come tumbling down in some of them. Uh, that have been broken over the past couple of years. They've been standing for quite some time, you know, 10 years, you know, back to the uh, the early or middle part of the previous decade. I mean, you look at this past uh, fall at uh, at the Italian Grand Prix at the beginning of September at Monza, Kimi Raikkonen smashed the, the, the lap record. And if you go and look on uh, the Formula One YouTube channel, it's uh, it's obviously uh, a little bit out of date now, but uh, way back in 2004, Juan Pablo Montoya set the fastest lap at, at Monza, which also was the, the the fastest ever lap in Formula One, and that was uh, quite something. I mean, you uh, you you watch and listen to the car as uh, Juan Pablo flies and throws it through the different corners around uh, around Monza, and it was uh, extremely exciting and uh, and fun to watch. And uh, and Kimi's done that as well. So that that's the one thing that uh, that I'm kind of glad to hear because uh, once uh, they uh, <clears throat> they uh, announced those changes for the aero rules there was all, all these um, you know a lot of concerns uh, voiced by drivers and technical people that uh, that uh, that are forced to implement that i mean red bull i think said it was cost something like 15 million euros to develop uh, the, the the new front wing and you know, the loss of performance and everything took several months to to really work back and uh, and and regain but hey that's what these uh, designers and engineers are paid for and and uh, that's the one thing that always um, impresses me about Formula One. Just one of many things, uh, honestly. But uh, it's just that whenever there seems to be something that comes in that's uh, meant to be uh, one of these speed-reducing factors, they're always able to find other ways to make the cars go faster. So definitely uh, very interesting. And uh, just going, getting back to, to what Carlos Sainz is saying is uh, obviously I think um, – when you look at it realistically, I mean, um, uh, McLaren obviously are making some progress, but of course, uh, Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, they're always going to be the fastest teams. And I mean, uh, during uh, testing, we don't know how little fuel Carlos had in his car compared to, say, Sebastian Vettel or Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen and their respective cars. So sure, I mean, it's a it's a great uh, thing for McLaren to set, uh, set some times and uh, to be up there at the top of the lap charts. But of course, uh, right now, it's, it's a little bit different, obviously, when they're they're just testing and everybody's doing their own little thing. But certainly, they should be proud of it. But realistically, I think that uh, it's going to correct itself for the, uh, the 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 racing season once it gets underway. Okay, time for a quick pause. We'll be back just after this. Okay, welcome back. Well, time to kick this thing up uh, into a higher gear because we're already 30 minutes into the program this week and there's still a ton of things to talk about. So let's talk about Williams now. Obviously, we don't need to go back and uh, and reestablish um, the, 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 the fact that this is a, a once very big and important and uh, and established and very successful team that's uh, obviously fallen on hard times that uh, that sad story is well documented at this point in time but just talking now uh, a little bit about what they're doing at the test in um 
in Barcelona right now. Of course, uh, last week uh, they were late. They showed up uh, because, well, it was an undisclosed reason. They, they were two days late. And then, of course, the first day that they were there on the Wednesday, you know, they, had, they, uh, they missed half a day just getting prepared. And uh, there was all sorts of speculation what the promise uh, or the problem uh, might have been. Um, you know, Claire Williams, uh, the uh, the deputy team principal, she didn't really disclose anything other that they were going to investigate it internally, and they probably wouldn't uh, publicly state what the what the problem was. Anyways, on the track now, Robert Kubica said that time is running out for the Williams test work, and of course, that is uh, <laughs> it's just a question of time. I mean, uh, last week uh, they were able to only run for a couple of days. And that obviously is just not um, enough time to to really find out what the car is all about and find out if it's really uh, uh, living up to what they they expected to do. If there are any shortcomings anywhere that uh, that the car needs to be improved or uh, or, or worked upon. But uh, on Wednesday, uh, he was able to run 130 laps, which is obviously a, a pretty good uh, a number of laps and a pretty good uh, distance. But uh, he says, from the driver point of view, we haven't done any work on the car, so there's lots of things to discover. And unfortunately, not a lot of time left before our first race. And of course, the uh, the days of unlimited testing, like if you go back to maybe say the the, the Michael Schumacher era of uh, of Ferrari and the uh, the early part of uh, this uh, this century, and uh, and other eras of Formula One, you could basically test all you wanted to. And of course, uh, that's been cut down because of more of a cost saving measure. But certainly, they are up against um, yeah they're they're up against it a little bit because uh, there there's only a couple of days testing left this week and then that's it a- after this test that's it uh, there there's no more opportunities to go out and, and do these sorts of things you know it's back to the wind tunnel back to computer simulations or whatever it might be to try and work out any of the problems uh, that that the car may have but at least from like a performance uh, point of view uh, George Russell the, the 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 rookie the new drive, uh, driver at Williams he said that the the mile that they're get, uh, getting is a huge relief <laughs> and of course you can imagine that it would be because I cannot imagine the amount of pressure and stress that is going on in that team at the moment just to try and get out there and and the pressure that uh, well not just to get onto the track but to try and get out there and achieve something and do something that to try and dig themselves out of the hole because they have really fallen into the abyss of Formula One in in dramatic and rather uh, quick manner because uh, it was only a couple of years ago where this is a team that was third or fourth in the constructors championship. I mean, they weren't really uh, quite good enough to, uh, to 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 challenge for races, but I mean, the odd podium here and there was was not all that uh, uh, much to expect from them. I mean, it was a fairly regular thing for for a time there, and then last year, gosh, I mean, they were just. Just really sad to see how how bad and how disappointing that uh, the car, the FW41, was last year. It was just too uh, drastic of a design and concept change, and it just uh, did not work out for them. And of course, you couple that with a couple of young and inexperienced drivers like uh, Lance Stroll and Sergey Sorokin. I don't want to really take too much uh, away from those guys. I mean, it's a, a difficult situation for anybody to be in, but certainly, uh, you know, the the one question that I had was uh, with a, a car that obviously isn't uh, very drivable and in the hands of a couple of guys that uh, that, that don't have a lot of uh, Formula One experience, relatively speaking. I was always wondering how much are they going to be able to get out of this car and how much are they going to be able to improve it over the course uh, of, of the season. So 
Anyways, Ross Smedley is gone, and uh, uh, Patty Lowe is still there as the technical director. And, uh, well, so far this year, Williams is saying that the the car, the FW42, feels nice and stable despite some of the, the, the setbacks that they've had and the problems that the team has had just getting to to testing to to get this car uh, broken in and shaken down for the new season ahead. And uh, he said that uh, it's given him a good feeling. And uh, he says that he hasn't even really explored the limits of the car. So th- that is an interesting uh, statement because um, he-, he says, uh, he goes on to say that it feels uh, quite nice. It felt stable and had a good feeling uh, from it. And he said, I'm not fully on the limits, so I still don't know the, the limits on the car. I'm not going balls out of tack to know what, uh, where that is yet. So it's interesting to hear. I mean, uh, George Russell, obviously another young guy, but I mean, he's been, uh, he, he's a Mercedes driver, so <laughs> he's done very well in the, the, the lower formulas. So I think uh, we can uh, take, um, you know, what he, what he's saying about the car, his feedback. I think we, we can take that, uh, you know, and, and really uh, appreciate what he's saying. So, I mean, it, it's interesting that despite the problems that they've had, that, that their drivers seem fairly positive about the car and especially uh russell saying that uh, that he hasn't really pushed uh, as hard as the car is able to go so who knows where that upper ceiling for performance is and uh definitely that that'll be a space to watch over the coming couple of days and then into australia to see how that's uh, actually turned around because we'll talk about it in a little bit uh, a little bit more detail in, in a couple of minutes here but i think obviously the, the big question is going to be, is, is anybody going to be able to knock Ferrari, or sorry, Mercedes off the top uh, the, this year? Are they going to still be able to to stay out in front of their rivals? Is, is Honda going to give uh, Red Bull that uh, that edge that they're looking for? Is uh, Ferrari the team to beat? I mean, those are questions we basically have in one form or another each and every year. But uh, the, the middle of the pack this year, the, the midfield teams, are I think, are going to be very, very interesting to, to, to watch. And uh, it's just, to me... And I hate to say it, I just haven't seen enough yet from Williams to really be be confident that they've done enough to to keep pace with everybody around them and uh, their their rivals in the middle of the pack there to to get the to pull themselves out of their hole and off the bottom of the uh, the, the 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 constructors championship and do something uh, more positive this year. So who knows? We'll we'll have a good indication in a couple of weeks, but hopefully for them, they've turned the corner and they're starting to the long, hard, difficult. Um, march back to respectability. But just talking about that uh, respectability thing, and uh, there, there's been a number of stories and, uh, and interviews this uh, this week. So uh, Claire Williams was saying that it wasn't uh, suppliers and budgets that were that uh, there were issues with the uh, the the delay that they had uh, last week getting to um, getting to the track or the lack of budget. You know, she does go on to say that you know in a Formula One car, there's something uh, to the uh, the effect of 22,000 parts that go into uh, to making a car of which they design and build and manufacture all those uh, parts in-house. So I'm starting to wonder, and, and I know she was saying that it's their DNA to, to build every component, uh, well, apart from the uh, from the engine, which is a Mercedes, and the gearbox, which is going to be standardized uh, for next year or some point in the future. We'll get to that in a moment as well. But basically, everything that they can design and build, they design and build themselves. And I'm starting to wonder now if perhaps that is uh, a bit of an outdated uh, mentality in Formula One. 
they have these listed and non-listed parts and of uh, of course you know there there's got to be so much that you design and build yourself i mean you can't just have a carbon copy of a of, of another car and just whip a, a different badge and a different uh, paint scheme on there and uh, and call it a different team and go racing there has to be a certain amount of parts uh, that are unique and designed and built by yourself but you look at the model that Haas has uh, followed since they've uh, come into uh, into formula 1 uh, you know several years ago now and i mean obviously they they haven't uh, been challenging for races but they've they've had their moments and uh, they've um, obviously i think uh, done a little bit better than say your caterums and your lotuses of the world some of some of the teams that have uh, you know disappeared and gone the way of the dodo over the past say 3 4 seasons uh, they they have this relationship with ferrari they have ferrari engines and they they use a number of these um, uh, parts from ferrari that uh, that they're able to and I'm starting to wonder now if uh, perhaps the attitude and the mentality that they have at uh, that Williams is perhaps in part, I'm not going to say all of it, but perhaps in part, uh, part of the issue that is holding them back and restricting them from moving forward. And it's uh, contributed uh, perhaps to a, a certain degree to the the situation that they find themselves in now perhaps they need to look at uh, some sort of uh, relationship or situation that that uh, you see with maybe well maybe not so much a Toro Rosso and a, and uh, and a Red Bull because obviously Toro Rosso is very much a a junior team, uh, a feeder team to the uh, the main Red Bull racing uh, squad outfit, if you want to call them that. More like like a Haas or maybe like a like a Force India. Or I'd say maybe sorry, uh, not a Force India, a uh, an Alfa Romeo and a Ferrari. That that sort of situation. And I know that uh, that Williams they they like to design and build everything themselves, but perhaps maybe this this is that time to use that Mercedes link that they have and see if uh, perhaps they can do something similar with Mercedes that uh, that Haas has been doing with uh, with Ferrari over these past uh, couple of years because perhaps maybe they're just trying to do too much themselves because it's uh, I just find the whole wording and uh, the the way that they've been uh, describing the issues that they have I I find it quite interesting because they say it's not the suppliers it's not the budget and there's no real major issues uh basically you know that it's that they they do need to make uh they're not like in a full-on crisis mode but definitely there are issues that uh, that need to be addressed so i was thinking that uh, if it wasn't the, the 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 budget if the money's there to do what they need to do from a design and manufacturing and uh, and research and development and all these sorts of things if all that that money is there then they're either not spending it correctly or um i guess the 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 other thing is too is that if they're they're not spending it correctly then then, then what is the problem like uh is it uh well if if it's not a manufacturing thing is uh, you know they're they're still able to manufacture uh, all the parts on time and uh, on budget and stuff like that which is what you would expect then what does it come down to? What 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 was the issue? And I'm starting to wonder now if uh, perhaps it was some sort of uh, misinterpretation of the rules, or what, what, was there some other problem? Like, what, was it just logistical getting the cars there on time? Which I find uh, a bit unlikely when you think 
that um, that uh, that these teams have been doing it, especially in Williams' case, for for literally uh, decades, and they're they're used to the logistical side of it of uh, getting their cars and their parts and their people and everything to uh, to twenty one uh, races each and every year. So, I'm just kind of wondering now, and uh, perhaps that's part of the reason that um, that Claire Williams said that uh, they're not going to publicly state what the problem was that kept them uh, kept them from getting to to Barcelona last week was perhaps it was a misinterpretation of the of the of the regulations perhaps they found out a little bit too late that what they wanted to do wasn't uh, contraven- uh, contravention of the rules or the regulations or they just there there was something just something there i mean uh, if they're saying that it wasn't a, a a problem getting the car built as far as i know then uh, that to me just seems one of the only other problems that it could be so Anyways, that's just a a little bit of food for thought. Anyways, uh, one final break, and then we're going to start closing this down. There's uh, still a number of uh, news items to to go over before we shut it down for this week. And uh, again, just uh, hang tight, and we'll be back in just a moment. All right. Well, welcome back. Just uh, like I say, several more things just to cover this week. And first of all, Mick Schumacher, the Ferrari junior driver and son of seven-time world champion and legend Michael Schumacher, is on the short list for an Alfa Romeo Formula One test uh, this year. So that's uh, according to uh, the team principal at Alfa Romeo, uh, Frederick Vasseur. And uh, that is uh, obviously, I think that's kind of cool. And uh, it seems obviously to be in the cards. And it, it also makes a lot of sense because um, Alfa Romeo obviously has a uh, connection with Ferrari, which has uh, sort of been uh, built upon uh, in the previous guise of, uh, of Sauber over the past uh, several years. And uh, it also makes a lot of sense too, because uh, one of the uh, the arrangements uh, that they had with, excuse me, with Sauber, and I assume also now with uh, with Alfa Romeo, is that they are able to nominate one of the drivers, uh, or they have that option to nominate a driver, and that's how it worked out with Antonio Giovinazzi, who is also another Ferrari driver uh, for for this year. So uh, it kind of looks like that was uh, part of the deal that uh, they shifted a couple of drivers over there, but uh, Raikkonen uh, made it uh, on his own accord. But uh, definitely, uh, it seems like a mixed trajectory in in Formula One is just going to be uh, on the up and up. I mean, he's uh, the European reigning European Formula Three champion from uh, from last year, and uh, he's obviously really got the pedigree. I mean, uh, both his dad and his uncle Ralph uh, raced in Formula One for uh, a, a long, long time, and uh, what his dad Michael did is still uh, absolutely legendary. I, I mean, we've seen Lewis Hamilton over the past couple of years. Uh, break some of Michael's uh, records. I mean, he's uh, broken the, the the pole positions. I mean, I think he still has, what, 91 race victories, I think is uh, Michael's record. And of course, the seven uh, world championships is the uh, is the gold standard. That's the, 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 the bar that everybody's trying to to get to. And Lewis has uh, two more to to win, to tie, and three to to, <laughs> to set a new record, which is, uh, is different. But certainly would be very cool to, to see uh, Mick Schumacher in, uh, in Formula One. So who knows? Maybe that'll happen sooner rather than later. 
And also Sergei Sorotkin, Formula Williams driver, has popped up again in Formula One. He doesn't have a race seat, but uh, he's been uh, re-signed to a Formula One team, and he's uh, now at Renault, and he's going to be their reserve driver for this year. Obviously, uh, that uh, didn't go well uh, with Williams, just the, uh, the the lack of the performance, and then you know they decided to uh, uh, to, um, uh, to to sever ties with them, and of course, uh, completely new driver lineup at Williams. But good to see uh, Sorotkin uh, back in Formula one even though it's in a reserve driver role I was, I was kind of critical of him at uh, at the time that uh, maybe just didn't have the experience but of course obviously the the, the car that he had was a bit of a lemon and uh, that was always going to be a, a big ask for a for a guy to try and do something with that car and who knows who would have been able to uh, to get any uh, sort of performance out of it. So anyways, um, like I was saying a little bit earlier, just going back uh, to testing for a little bit, uh, Mercedes has uh, introduced a revised aero package in, in testing. So that's uh, you know, all those uh, different components that uh, that Sebastian Vettel was uh, uh, you know, talking about, he was marveling at and was uh, surprised uh, to see uh, earlier the, this week. So certainly they're, they're doing a lot of that, but um, they were saying that uh, the, the engine setback that they had uh, really hurt uh, or the, the engine setback that they had earlier in testing, I should say, um, it was, uh, was part of the problem that they didn't get a, a chance to fully evaluate their new, uh, aerodynamic pr- problem. They had some oil pressure problems in the, uh, during testing. Uh, so they've, uh, really done some, uh, some substantial, uh, redesigns and, uh, upgrades to the, uh, the, the, the W10. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> like I said, I was saying earlier, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. And, uh, the one thing that they've been talking about Mercedes is, uh, switching, uh, front wing concepts uh, would take uh, months to to achieve and obviously it would take a, a lot of uh, uh, money to do. Uh, Ferrari has uh, got a, a, a different style front wing that's uh, kind of uh, got a lot of people looking at it uh, quite interested with, uh, with, a, with a lot of interest. Uh, Mercedes is one of them and they, they say that they are open-minded to, to work out uh, whether or not the Ferrari front, uh, front wing is better and they are willing to pursue it and of course they are the kind of people that will that if they need to do it they'll do it but uh, Certainly, it would uh, not be something that uh, would happen overnight. And certainly, if uh, they were to switch uh, design on their front wings, it would be uh, very similar to, uh, like we see throughout the years, uh, throughout the year, I should say, that typically when uh, Formula One gets to the the Spanish Grand Prix at the end of May, that's typically when we see the first batch of uh, upgrades come to the cars uh, throughout the paddock. Uh, Typically, they go through those first five or six races in the different parts of the world and Australia and Bahrain, you know, races like that. Uh, they, they, they basically run it in that, uh, that, that, uh, opening, um, format that guys, the, the, the setup they have for the beginning of the season. But then of course, once they get back to European soil, they're closer to their, their, their factories and their bases of operations is when all the, uh, the upgrades uh, seem to come. So, uh, who knows if they decide to, to do that, uh, perhaps, uh, it will manifest itself in about, uh, three months, four months from now at the Spanish Grand Prix in May. But sticking a little bit uh, now with uh, with Mercedes, and this was uh, an article on motorsport.com that uh, that caught my uh, attention because the headline is, Botas hasn't achieved anything in F1. And this isn't uh, me being critical or anyone else, but this is uh, Valtteri himself saying that he hasn't achieved anything in Formula One and he's uh, really targeting uh, the world championship uh, for this year. And uh, he scored nine Grand Prix podiums uh, with William. 
excuse me, with Williams. And uh, he was really, I guess, the de facto team driver, despite sharing, uh, you know, the team, being a teammate uh, to uh, Felipe Massa with the the experience and everything under his belt was uh, on paper the number one. So, um, you know, that, uh, that that was an interesting um comment I thought but I mean definitely last year what was disappointing and he certainly has a lot of work to do uh this year he um he's he's really under a lot of pressure because he's out of contract this year and I can't remember now if uh, off the top of my head if uh, if Mercedes have an option to to keep him there on his contract for for 2021 at at most uh, I think that uh, if they do d- decide to exercise that uh, option that would only take him pat to the end of next year but already uh, Total Wolf has kind of thrown down the the, the gauntlet and uh, drawn that line in the sand, if you will, saying that he's going to have to perform on a uh, on a level equal to that of uh, of Lewis Hamilton, which is obviously a, a huge, huge um, uh, ask of uh, of Voltaire. I mean, you're not just saying, okay, you got to be as good as your teammates. He's got to be as good as his teammate, who is also one of the well, obviously the best driver of this uh, generation and a five time world champion. That's uh, that's a, a huge ask. And of course, he did have some bad luck uh, last year, but uh, towards the end of the year, I don't know if his uh, motivation just wasn't there and uh, he just uh, wasn't uh, in it uh, quite as good or the car just wasn't quite as good. But I, I felt that he really tailed off to, towards the end. And I thought that uh, the, the the way that his season went was kind of underlined at the Russian Grand Prix when he was told to uh, to move over for Lewis Hamilton, you know, as a, as, as a victim of team orders. But uh, certainly uh, Valtteri feels like there's a, there's a lot more to come and uh, he really sounds like it, at least from the the different interviews and uh, and and different articles I've read over the winter that uh, that he's really gone away and uh, he's uh, really uh, refocused and uh, and working hard for the for the season ahead. So another uh, piece of news, and uh, I did mention it just now, but Extrac is uh, set to bid on the F1 standard gearbox deal. Uh, that's a, a cost-cutting uh, measure that uh, that they want to introduce. Uh, so uh, the FIA published an invitation to tender last week for the supply of a common seven-speed gearbox cassette. And uh, so Extrac is one of the the companies that's uh, that interested uh, at the moment. And uh, they have been in Formula One uh, before, and they've uh, they they supply several commo- or components to several teams and uh, com- provided complete uh, gearboxes to Lotus HRT and Marussia in, in previous years. All right, time to start wrapping it up uh, a little bit. There's a, a couple of uh, different uh, little bits and pieces of news here and there. And uh, again, this was one that I wanted to just uh, talk about um, uh, earlier. And it, uh, th- there's a little lead in here, which I thought was kind of uh, promising. And Danny Ricardo, the, the Renault driver, says that uh, he believes uh, following cars might be easier in 2019. The uh, the, the new aero rules and the, the, the new uh, wings may, after all, make it uh, easier for, for drivers to get closer and of course if they get closer in theory then they should be able to have opportunities to to try and dive up the inside and uh and and make a a passing move uh, during the race so it's interesting to hear that finally because i've been waiting to hear if something like that would get to get said by by a driver because there's been plenty of criticism by drivers and technical people over the months that uh that the that the uh the measures that were forced through at um before the deadline during the first 
first third of uh, last season to to get these aero changes in before having to be sort of approved and ratified by all 10 Formula One teams was uh, was a bit of a surprise. Uh, well, especially for for someone like myself on the uh, on the outside, I didn't really expect it. So I'm not sure how the what what the feelings were inside the Formula One paddock, but uh, still, nonetheless. Uh, for for Liberty and Ross Braun to to really force those changes through was uh, was quite surprising to me, and uh, so th- those uh, th- there has been lots of uh, criticism, and, and I've, I've mentioned it over the previous um, you know months. Every time there's been uh, a comment made by 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 somebody, there was the uh, the, the the technical director at uh, Racing Point. Um, the, the people of Red Bull have been quite skeptical about it. So it's it's interesting now that uh, that the cars are out there on the tracks, and, and I'm sure the drivers must have a uh, have a bit of a feel because I'm, obviously they're not racing each other one on one and they're not pushing each other. They're just uh, going around kind of doing their own thing, testing. But uh, they, you know they they must have some indication every time they're 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 close to another car. You know you know passing a car that may might be slower or just following another car uh, around the circuit. Uh, what what the effects are? So definitely a, a very interesting uh, comment uh, by by Danny Ricardo, and I hope so. Uh, if uh, Excuse me, if Ricardo is correct and uh, the the cars, the changes are positive, it, it should be uh, interesting to see whether or not uh, that that it actually leads to uh, more overtaking. So uh, definitely a, a very positive and uh, interesting uh, comment. And w- one thing I just wanted to talk about uh, very briefly before I wrap it up here, um, I did say earlier that uh, that the, the, for me, what I, I think is going to be very interesting this year is just going to be the battle for the, for the midfield and see how it really sorts itself out. I mean, we we all know at the top it's going to be Mercedes Ferrari and Red Bull and uh, so how you know that 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 battle among the the top three teams really sorts out is it going to be uh, Ferrari's year Red Bull's or is it going to be status quo and it's going to be another double world championship for uh, Mercedes and one of their drivers this year that that's kind of almost the default expectation at this point in time but uh, further back in the field it, it's uh, it's interesting to see some of these uh, developments that we see going on and certainly it's been it's been interesting so far because uh, you look at some of the times that are going on in the uh, they're being set during testing, and it kind of makes me wonder what, uh, what what's going on and how it's all going to kind of shake itself out. And and certainly, like I was saying earlier, I, I I'm really. I'm skeptical skeptical to see uh, Williams kind of like move forward from where they are. McLaren I think will make some uh, some progress this year. Uh but but it's really interesting to me to see how it's all going to shake up. Uh certainly uh, it seemed uh, after the first week of testing that uh, that Racing Point had uh, left a lot there out on the track. The car seemed uh, to be rather disappointing. It just wasn't handling or, or performing or have enough performance to to really get around the track there. So it kind of makes me wonder uh you know what's going on there. Because they've always been the team in, the, in their previous guys is Force India that uh, they've always punched above their weight, and and done some very good things. So it just kind of makes me wonder now: is that uh, is that just a, a misleading time during preseason testing that uh, I, I'm reading a little bit uh, too much into, or is this an indication of their true form and they've they've, they've maybe not gotten it uh, right so far this year? So again, we'll have to to, to wait and see. But certainly, it was interesting to see that uh, that the Haas that once you correct for the tire compounds and fuel loads and all that said that their times were actually quite comparable to uh the uh, the the Mercedes and the uh the, the Renault and the uh, and the Red Bull so very fascinating to 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 watch that and certainly uh, <laughs> it'll be 
quite uh, quite something to see if uh, Renault themselves can uh, can pull themselves uh, forward because over the past couple of years, obviously they've they, they've made progress since they they bought out Lotus a couple of years ago, but I think uh, certainly over the last eighteen months or so that um, that uh, progression that they had, the improvements that they were making have kind of leveled off, and I thought that uh, that twenty eighteen was a bit of a, a disappointing year for them. So uh, we will have to wait and see whether or not uh, they've uh, been able to, uh, uh, you know, sort that out and and get back on the the uh, the curve, the development curve that they wanted to. But uh, certainly, that will be one to to watch because they got a couple of good drivers there. I mean, uh, that was a real coup for them to get uh, Danny R- Ricardo and uh, convince him to to go over over there because I mean everybody was expecting that he would just uh, stay with uh, with Red Bull, and of course. There are no shortages of uh, of questions around Alfa Romeo. I mean, uh, Sauber two years ago was no was nowhere. Obviously, they were at the back of the grid. You know, they they didn't really have. Uh, you know, they they had a couple of de- okay drivers. Obviously, they weren't going to uh, win races with a guy like Pascal Verline or Marcus Ericsson. But now they have a former world champion in Kimi Raikkonen. They've got Antonio Giovinazzi, who's a you know highly rated young guy. They've got a car that's uh, that's really impressed and uh, and they've done a lot in a very short period of time so are they going to be that one team that really kind of leapfrogs uh, forward because Charles Leclerc last year obviously did some very impressive things in the car that he had and he was much faster than his teammate Marcus Erickson in uh, identical equipment so going to be uh, very cool to watch and uh, I think it's going to be uh, fun to watch to see what's going to be going on in the midfield and I certainly hope like uh, Ricardo was saying that uh, that, the, that the new regulations are going to really help uh, and and uh, encourage overtaking and permit overtaking because that will just make that midfield battle all that more interesting and enjoyable to watch on the track. All right, finally, two fine, yeah, two little bits of news here. And ex-McLaren Formula One chief Eric Boulier is back in Formula One as global ambassador for the French Grand Prix, which was uh, back on the uh, the calendar last year after uh, a far too long of a gap of uh, French Grand Prix. And of course, uh, last year's uh, version went at Paul Ricard, which uh, where it will be again this year. And then finally, Sky has reconfirmed that Ted Kravitz will be back. And Ted is the somewhat popular pit reporter that's uh, been a part of the team for quite some time. And it was kind of bizarre because I kept seeing all this speculation and questions on social media every time I was on Twitter over the past couple of days. Or certainly I saw the, the the hashtag where's Ted going on for, for quite a while. And a lot of people seem to be quite concerned that, uh, that Kravitz was going to be there, but uh, certainly he will. So that means I will get to enjoy it because here in Canada, TSN, are, uh, one of our sports broadcasters, they carry Formula One and that is the Sky. Uh, Sky Sports feed, so certainly look forward to, to listening and watching Ted again for 2019. Anyways, that is a good place to leave the show for this week. And uh, of course, next week we'll uh, wrap up the latest in Formula One news as well as the, uh, the the remainder of the news from the second test this week at Barcelona. And until then, if you want to get in touch with me, send me an email at scuderiaf1pod at gmail.com or tweet me at scuderiaf1pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com.